If you have a copy of God's Word with you, I invite your attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as we continue in this great letter and we look at this church that Paul so dearly loved that in many respects in my mind mirrors much of what I see in our church. A church that is working, a church that is loving, a church that is growing, a church that is excited about the future because they know that Jesus Christ is coming Again, I want to take just a moment and do something if I can. I want to put our mission statement on the screen, and I want us to read it together. We've done this before, and I, it's, in your, it's on your bulletin, but I want to put it on the screen. Everybody sit up straight, take a big deep breath, and let's read this together. We are a family of faith in the heart of Hattiesburg, making disciples among our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. The reason I wanted to do that, and we're going to leave it there for a moment, is because I want us to think about the, the context of this chapter of Scripture in the context of our sermon series, in the context of who we are as a church. Now, when we as a lead team sat down and began to pray about our mission statement, work through that, begin to cast vision for who we are, the idea was very, very simple. We wanted to look at who we are, where we are, what we're called to do, and who we're called to reach. And that really embraces all four of those things. Who are we? We're a family of faith. Well, we've spent time talking about that. A family is multi-generational. A family likes different kinds of, of, of things. There are different preferences. There are different um, activities among the family. But we love one another and we gather together and it usually uh, it comes back around uh, the table at some point. We, we break bread together and we just celebrate our relationships together. So we're a family and that's important. And secondly, we're not only a family of faith, but we're also, we know where we are. We're right in the heart of Hattiesburg. I've said this to you before, I don't want us to lose sight of this. Hattiesburg is the only city in the state of Mississippi with two major universities and there's not another Southern Baptist church more centrally located between those two universities than ours. God planted this church in the heart of Hattiesburg for such a time as this. This church has had an incredible track record, a wonderful history, a glorious past of sending out missionaries, of raising up leaders. There have been generations of students that have come through the hallways of this church and in small groups and gone on mission trips and disciple nows and, and youth retreats. And many of you are or were some of those students that came up through the ranks. What an incredible thing. And now you're raising families of your own. We're a family of faith, but we're right here in the heart of Hattiesburg. Well, what is it that we're called to do? We're called as a people to make disciples. That's the marching order of every church. We are called to help people know Jesus Christ and to follow Him. And where are we doing that? We're doing it among our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. Now, I take time to say all of that because every once in a while it's good for us to pause and ask, how are we doing? Are we living up to those things? Am I, as an individual Christian, living up to the potential that God has placed in my life? Am I doing things with excellence? Am I working to the best of my ability? Now, I'm not talking about legalism. When we start comparing ourselves to others, it becomes legalistic. If I start bowing my chest out and say, well, I read the Bible all the time, and I pray all the time, and I witness all the time, I start looking like a Pharisee. But when I start saying, Lord, you have given me so much, and because of all that you've given me, I want to give back to you, 
then that's not a, a striving for success in the comparative sense. That's striving for excellence in the sense of saying, I just want my life to count for the Lord. Would you agree with that? Pretty simple. Well, Paul addresses that here in 1 Thessalonians 4. He's talking to a church that's doing great things. But he tells them, you can do better. You can do more. So what I want to do today is to inspire and encourage and challenge you to ask yourself, can I do better? Can I do more? Now, we've all heard the phrase, nobody's what? Perfect. I would venture a guess, and everybody look this way. I want to make sure I see everybody. I would bet that if you were honest with yourself in your professional life, maybe in your educational life if you're a student, perhaps in your spiritual walk, somewhere you've slacked off. Would you say, yeah, that's true of me? I mean, somewhere, maybe once. It was one Thursday a long time ago in a weak moment. But, but you just didn't give it your best that day. You, you found yourself at the job interview of saying, I give 110% at everything that I do. But you've under-delivered under on that promise to that employer once you got the job. Maybe you found yourself saying, I, I love the Lord and I want to serve the Lord to my fullest capacity. But somewhere you haven't given your best. Maybe it was on a field of activity. Maybe you didn't hustle as much as you were supposed to on the softball field or on a football practice field. We, we didn't meet the boss's expectations somewhere and we settled for mediocrity. Well, that's what we're going to look at and that's what Paul is dealing with here. He, he looks at where this church is and where they could be. And I want us today to ask of our own selves individually as Christians, am I where I could be? And maybe even am I where I should be? Our faith and our spiritual lives may not always amount in perfection, but one thing that we can control about them is our attitude toward them. My, my grandfather or my dad would simply call it my work ethic. I, I can look at whatever it is that my hand finds to do, as the Scripture says in Ecclesiastes, and do it with all of my heart. Or what Paul said to the Corinthian church, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Great story, and then we'll come to 1 Thessalonians 4. Years ago, Henry Kissinger was the Secretary of State. He was the Secretary of State for President Nixon. It was a turbulent time. The opening of China was happening. The drawdown and the ending of the Vietnam War was, was coming to a close. They were part of that era around that time. The Russians were, were just in the, the relationships the United States were developing. And Kissinger had a speechwriter... And this speechwriter's name was Lord. Um, his last name was Lord. And, and let me find it. I, I've forgotten it already, his name. Let, just a moment. I don't see it in my notes. It doesn't matter. Winston Lord. Winston Lord was a speechwriter. Now, Kissinger was a speechwriter himself. And so he was a critic. It was a pretty difficult task to write speeches for him. But as ambassador to China, one of the things that he had to do was write speeches for the Secretary of State and for the President. Well, he was writing a speech. He brought the first draft to Henry Kissinger, and he was going to get together with him the next morning, and he was going to go through that speech and get feedback. The next morning, he shows up in Kissinger's office, and he said to him one simple phrase, one question, is this the best that you can do? 
Winston Lord kind of hung his head and said, well, I probably could tweak it a little bit. So he took it back and he went back and he reviewed and reworked some structure of some paragraphs and he redeveloped a little bit of it and he worked through it and he brought it back a couple of days later. Same protocol. I'll talk to you in the morning about it. So the next day he comes back to Kissinger's office and he said, what do you think? And he asked him one question. Is this the best that you can do? Perplexed and a little frustrated, he took it back and he began to work through it, comb through it meticulously. Now I want you to hear this. This actually happened. That same frustrating process was repeated eight more times. He got to the ninth draft. He said, I have changed not just every paragraph, but every syllable. I've done everything I possibly can do. He goes back to Kissinger with the ninth draft, awaiting his response. Surely enough, Kissinger calls him into his office, ninth draft, awaits his response, and says, is this the best you can do? Winston Lord, completely fed up, furious, replies, I've beaten my brains out. This is the ninth draft. I know this is the best I can do. I cannot change another thing to make it better. To which Kissinger replied, good. Now I'll read it. Let that sink. Have you ever find, found yourself turning in a, a paper in school or turning your prayer life into the Lord and saying, this is the best I can do? All the while, the, the expectation of the Lord is that we would in some way respond to the things that He has given to us. I tell you that in light of how we're living as a church, not just Hardy Street, but the church in America. We're losing ground. Churches close every single day. Ministers leave the ministry every single week. Darkness seems to get darker, and all around us the challenge is that evangelical Christianity is losing its ground because no longer are we giving our best. That leads us to 1 Thessalonians 4. Again, long introduction, but I think it will be worth the while when we come to our text. I invite you to stand as we read God's Word together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Note those words. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now as to the love of the brethren, 
You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to, look at the words, excel still more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Let's pray together and may God add blessing to the reading of his word. Father, I pray that you would give us understanding of these words as we together look at them and draw from them truth that would touch our own lives. God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning very clearly through this passage of scripture. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have said this to you before in many of Paul's epistles. He started out with doctrine and moved to application. He said, this is how you should believe and this is how you should behave. That's not the case in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians doesn't start out with doctrine, but really history and a personal message. He thanked them. He praised them for how good they were doing. The first couple of chapters, he just went on and on. You are a model church. You are living the Christian life. Other people have heard about it. I want to tell you, this church has that kind of reputation. Throughout its history, people have looked and said, that church is a church that is doing things. God is on the move there. God is working there. And we are still a part of that. God is continuing to do things. It it thrills my heart from time to time in the grocery store and in other places to have people walk up and say, I've heard things about what God's doing at Hardy Street. That just ministers to me. Well, that's what Paul said to Thessalonica in chapters 1, 2, and 3. He thanked them. He spent a little time defending his ministry because there were those that were questioning his motive but now he comes in chapter 4 and where does it start in chapter 4 he says finally now that seems odd there's a lot left that sounds like a preacher who's saying in closing and just keeps right on preaching right well when he says finally he's not saying this is the end he's saying now let's get to the matter that Greek word really means for the rest I like that Paul says for the rest Let's stop. Hear me. This is important. That's what Paul says. He says, finally, brothers, we request and exhort. There's a tenderness in what he's asking. That's not always the case either. There are other places where he says, I beseech you, brothers. That, That is a strong implication of a word. He's saying, I'm warning you. But here he's saying, listen, I'm asking you. I'm drawing you in close with me. I want you to hear this. This is important. I want to challenge and encourage you with something. And so listen to me. Listen. And so in this epistle, when he begins with finally and says that, Paul's words here begin some instruction on how to live the Christian life. Now, I want to make one more building block. How in the world does Paul's writing here fit into our series on the DNA of our church? The better question is, how does our sermon series fit into the words of Scripture? Paul is going to give to us three elements of the DNA of a healthy church. He's going to say, healthy churches look like this. Healthy churches are filled with this mindset, this attitude. And so what I want to say is, hopefully you and I are cultivating these kinds of attitudes. All right. So the first one that I want you to see, Paul says that one element of the DNA of a healthy church is this. People with a desire to excel at pleasing God. 
I want you to circle those two words, pleasing God, on your outline. I know they were filled in for you, but I want you to circle them. Let me ask you, do you live your life with a hunger and a desire to please God? I mean, actively, cognitively, thinking about it. Do you walk through your day saying, I wonder if what I'm about to say or think or do would please the Lord? I'm wondering if listening to this joke, if clicking that link on my computer, if sending this text message, if uh, being a part of this gossiping conversation, I wonder if whatever that is, is going to please the Lord. You see, Paul is saying to them, I'm urging you, I am uh, requesting of you that you live your life conducting yourselves in a manner that is pleasing to God. Excel at it. In fact, that's what he's pleading for. He says, I want you to excel all the more. I love the parenthetical phrase that's there. He says, you know how he taught you just as you were walking. He said, you're doing the deal, but keep going. You started on the right path, keep stepping, keep moving, keep working because the priority of our lives ought to be spiritual development and growth. We should never get back to the place where, or get to the place where we sit and, and we just rest and, and say, I, I've arrived. No, there's continued growth, there's continued development far beyond until we get to glory. There, there's no place for us to rest. Now, two things about this notion of excelling at pleasing God, and they come directly from our text. It's important for us to see, Paul says, number one, walk in Him. And that means you grow in your power and your desire and your relationship. Now, where do I get that from the text? Verse 1, he says, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. Church family, look at me. He's not talking to lost people. Lost people try through religion to please the Lord. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Paul is talking to Christians and he's saying, Christians, those of you who are in Christ, I want you to excel at pleasing the Lord. I want you to walk in Him. You see, if you're lost here today, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ and you're trying to gain favor with God, you're trying to earn His merit in some way, it's not going to lead to growth in power and desire and relationship. It's going to lead to frustration and anxiety. You'll say, I don't know if I can do enough. But if you are in Christ Jesus, the more you walk in Him, the more you spend time in His Word, the more you pray, the more you seek Him, you'll grow in power. Power to resist sin. Power to be taken by the, the, all of the, the different temptations that will come your way. Power to overcome the devil, the world, the flesh. All of the things that are battling against you to try to get you off course and to keep you from pleasing God. You see, if the devil can't get you to buy his bag of tricks, if he can't get you to buy his lies, then he'll just try to diminish your belief in what you know is true. I love the song that we sang earlier, that we would stand against unbelief because he would speak to us through his word. That's what Paul said. I urge you, I exhort you, I encourage you in Christ to walk in in a manner that pleases the Lord. So walk in Him. But secondly, work for Him. Now, the working for Him doesn't make sense unless we're walking in Him. 
Because a lot of people are trying to work to earn his favor. But this is growing in trust and obedience. This is growing in developing this relationship. I love what he says in the rest of verse 1. You receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you're actually doing. And he's telling them, we want you to walk in this way. In fact, he says this in a couple of other places. If you went back to chapter 3, verse 10, he says, we want to complete what is lacking in you. We want to build up your faith. If you go to 4.10, if you move forward to verse 10 in this verse, we urge you to excel still more. You see, here's what Paul is saying, very simply. You're doing good, keep on. You're doing good, there's more. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I struggled with a very, very horrible, horrible thing. I mean, it was just draped around my life from a very, very early age. And it's the word potential. Now, I never saw it, but I had teachers that would write on my papers with audacity, Scott is not living up to his potential. Well, I wanted to hide that, you know. I, I, there's no potential there. I just am what I am. I'll turn in what I turn in. But, but the reality is there was potential there at some level, especially in comparison to what I was turning in. And there's potential in you and me as Christians to do the right things, to live our lives in such a way that it would please and honor the Lord, to walk in Him and to work for Him and to strive. And see, He wanted them to be motivated by the Word of God because Paul said, we instructed you what to do. We've told you. You know what to do. And Hardy Street, I would say what, that same thing to you. You know what to do. You've heard the Word. You've understood the instruction of the Lord, the commands of the Lord. You understand that submission and trust and obedience all go together and when they go together with a heart attitude that says I'm going to do all that I can for the glory of Jesus it changes everything now you may be doing what you're doing for eternal rewards that's a legitimate goal line we will be rewarded in heaven but ultimately when we get to the place of saying Jesus you're worth it it doesn't matter if I'm going to be rewarded or not. I've already been so enriched and so fulfilled through the cross of Christ that I can live my life for Him, doing all that I can, giving my very best. One of my absolute favorite stories of all time came from a news article literally back in the 50s. It was a sports writer. His name was Joe Daly. He wrote it for the New York Times. Here's the story. It was about Bear Bryant. I want you to hear this. Daly was writing a story. He had done a, a focus on Bear Bryant and on the, the Crimson Tide of Alabama. The, the story is called Slightly Disobedience. And here's the story. Here's what happened. The setup is very simple. He said that Bear Bryant was this taskmaster of a coach. I mean, he would discipline his, parents, uh, his players and instill in them discipline. And because of that, they won games like they did. But he was writing about one particular game. They were winning by one point. The, the game is winding down toward the end. And Bear Bryant was not one of those that would run up the clock he, or run up the score. He was just content there to run out the clock, win the game, walk off. He pulls his quarterback to the sideline and he says to him very simply, if you throw the ball, I'll kill you myself. I mean, those were the recorded words on the sideline. Well, this young guy said, we can score. And he goes to the huddle and, and Brian had said, run, sweep left, sweep right, run the clock out. We're going to win this game and go home. 
The quarterback calls a pass. And he throws the pass. And it's a beautiful pass, heading straight for his receiver, except for the defender that stepped in quickly and intercepted the football. He was the fastest man on their team, and Daly recorded that the quarterback was the slowest man on Alabama's football team. Well, immediately he jumped to his feet and began to run. And this man is heading down the sideline, going to win the game. And this quarterback tackled him. He caught him like somehow. And Arthur Daly said that he had just been, had a, had a fire lit, in, lit under him, probably by Bryant himself. Well, he tackled him and they were close to the goal line and they fell and rolled out of bounds at Bear Bryant's feet. The quarterback said, I thought I was going to be stomped to death at that moment. The other quarterback said, I'm the fastest man in our state. How in the world did you catch me? And Brian interrupted before his quarterback answered, and he said, very simple, motivation. You were running for the goal line, and he was running for his life. <laughs> How motivated are we to live for the Lord? What's Jesus work to you? There's an old sermon preached years ago called $3 Worth of God. We go to the grocery store and we buy just enough. We come to church and we satisfy a religious sweet tooth and walk away. Are you satisfied with $3 Worth of God? Or do you want to be completely filled? Do you want to be cleansed and washed and, and white as snow and living in Him? In the power of the Spirit, Paul is saying to a church that loves Jesus, Paul is saying to a church that has witnessed and worked, Paul is saying to a church that has done all they could possibly do in the eyes of others, and he's saying there's still more. And church family, for me and for me, for me and you, I simply want to say there's more. I really believe the best is yet to come for us as believers if we would engage in Bible study like never before, if we would pray with earnest expectation like never before, if we would begin to shed tears for lost neighbors and lost friends, if we would find ourselves begging God in prayerful dependence to do that which He alone can do, then we'll see a mighty movement of God. And those words fell upon the ears of the Thessalonians and some of them followed and some of them didn't. Some of them excelled still more and some of them didn't. I understand not everybody in here is going to grow at the same rate. But when I read these words, I don't know about you, but my heart just begins to beat faster. And I pray that there's some in this room that feel that same heartbeat. Because the heartbeat of God is on the move. It's on the move for Hattiesburg. It's on the move for the Pine Belt. It's on the move for the nations. In the coming weeks, as we love loud, we will have missionary partners here from South Asia and from Idaho preaching and teaching and sharing with you things that are going on around the world. I'm excited about those things. Next week, we'll give you full schedule of, of the various events that are going on. But I want you to see it's not about teaching and preaching. It's about reaching and going. It's about trusting and obeying. It's about giving like we've never given before and praying like we've never prayed before. I love those three words that are used here in these two parts of this text. Excel still more. Paul says excel still more. Say those words with me. Excel still more. Are, are you praying for your family, men? 
Are you praying like you ought to? Are you praying and, and putting a shield around your, your wife or your, your children or your grandchildren? Are you standing up or is there room for you to, help me out, excel still? And say it with me, more. Wives, are you covering your husband with prayer? Or are you praying for your church staff? Are you praying for the ministries of this church? Or is there room for all of us to excel still more? Are you as a Sunday school teacher just content to study on Saturday nights? And just kind of come and facilitate a little discussion? Are you digging into the Word and saying, Oh God, would you speak to my Sunday school class? Are you willing to shepherd your class and say, I'm going to lead them to Christ and in Christ, to build them up in Christ, or is there room for us to excel still more? I believe there's room for growth. I believe there's room for us to move forward. Now, I I want us to to move forward with just a couple more thoughts. We don't have time to work through all of this, but I'll fill in the blanks for you so you can see it. The second part of a healthy church is this. It's made up of people who excel at developing purity. Paul says something pretty interesting here. He says, this is the will of God. Now, a lot of you struggle with that. Have you ever found yourself saying, I wish I knew God's will? Here's one place in Scripture where it says, this is the will of God. I would underline that. I would highlight that. I would memorize this one. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You see, Paul knew that one of the traps for this church or any other church was impurity. And he knew that in our human condition, we would be in this culture that is saturated with sex, that there would be opportunity for impurity. And he's saying, don't go there. He's saying guard your mind, guard your heart, guard your life. This is a sermon for another day, but I want you to see His will is clear. Holiness. Holiness. That's what He demands. If our church is going to reach its full potential, and by the way, when I say things like that, I want you to hear me. I'm not trying to grow a big church. I've told you before, my job's not to fill the pews, it's to fill the pulpits. God will give the increase. Jesus said, I will build my church. But I'll tell you this, if we as a church live our lives to please God and to pursue purity, to develop it in our hearts, if we walk in holiness, people in Hattiesburg will take note and they'll want to be a part of it. They'll be magnetically drawn to it. People will say there's a difference in those folks. Our end game is not to grow a big church. Our end game is to make disciples among our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. We need to excel at developing purity. And that means that we follow God's way, and we know that His way is very simple. It's holiness, and His plan is clear. It's best, and that is sanctification. He's talking about being set aside. There's a process of being set aside. I've got to wrap all of this up. Let's go to number three. I want you to see it. The third mark of a church, a DNA. Keep going. His will is clear, holiness, and His plan is best, sanctification. We want to excel at proper behavior. Verses 9, 10, and, uh, 11, and 12 help us to see that we're to love one another in here and demonstrate that love out there. Very, very simply put, he says your love ought to be marked, your life ought to be marked by brotherly love. There ought to be such a, a stamp on your life that when people are around you, they're going to be encouraged because they feel loved. You know anybody like that? I do. Most of them are sitting right here in front of me. There's so many people in this room that encourage me with a hug or a handshake or a phone call or a card that just says, Brother Scott, I love you and I'm praying for you. 
And you do that for one another. It ought to be marked by holy love, but it ought to be moved by a holy ambition. You see, what Paul knew and what the Thessalonians knew was this, that when we set the kingdom as our agenda, when the kingdom of God becomes our focus, our holy ambition is to lead other people to walk in Him and to work for Him, then this DNA begins to spread. Other people say, I want my life to please God. I want my life to be marked by purity. I want my life to be focused on this proper behavior. Does that make sense to anybody in here? I hope that you'll go home at lunch and you'll begin to ask yourself the question, does my life please God? Is my life marked by love? And is my life pure? Are there areas of my life that nobody else knows about that if they were put upon the screen here or if they were played out in my presence before somebody else, if the news showed up and did a story, an expose on that hidden part of your life, how shameful, how embarrassing would it be? Confess and forsake those things. They have no place in the kingdom of God. And that's why Paul said, this is God's will for you. Walk in holiness. Let your life be in control so you don't defraud other people. I, I wish we had time to really unpack all that's there. But what that scripture says is God has reserved certain things for certain places and inside the context of where he's reserved them, they're good. Outside, they're chaotic and they destroy. Very simply, in those that context, fire is good in the fireplace, but not so much in the curtains. And when he says, this is the will of God, that you abstain from sexual immorality and you walk in holiness and you preserve yourself, you keep yourself within the bounds of God's design and your life will be incredibly enhanced and you can excel still more. I, I want to wrap this up with one simple application Let's go to the next screen. I want us to go back and, and I hope our logo, the, the three words there. In our process, we've said knowing, growing, going is the design for our church. We want to know Christ and make Him known. We want to grow in Christ in relationships, in small groups. And we want to go for Christ to our neighbors, the nations, the next generation. What does that mean practically? I want you to hear this. These three words go with them. Knowing God and making Him known is all about worship. That you would live your life. So here's the expectation of every member of our church. Every single week, every single one of you would commit yourself to corporate worship. You would say, I'm going to be a part. Now, if I were to tell you, you need to be here every time the doors are open. That's legalism. That, that's striving for success comparatively. But striving for excellence is this. You need to be here every opportunity you possibly have. And that means you get to the mindset and the attitude where you say, I don't want to miss church because I'm scared I'll miss something. That's what Paul was saying to the Thessalonians. He was saying, you better get here because if you get here, if you gather with God's people, God's going to show up and do something and I want you to excel still more. Worship. Now the second one is growth. In the coming months, we're developing and working on a very simple, straight-line strategy for discipleship where from newborn babies in Christ to maturing, developing, reproducing Christians, we've got a path of discipleship. And we're going to make it as simple as possible. We'll utilize Sunday school. We'll utilize all the other gathering times we have. But we want every person here to commit to the process of discipleship where you would say, I've learned a lot, but there's still room for me to grow. And thirdly, and this is probably the most important, when we think about going, 
Everybody look this way, everybody listen. It is critical that every member of our church find a place to serve. You're missing the blessing if you don't serve. We need people that would sit at the preschool welcome desk and greet young families. When we get the renovations done, we'll have a place where we need somebody to sit and just to greet young families. We need workers in our nursery, in our preschool, in our children's ministry. We need people that would invest in our students. We need people that will work as ushers and greeters or sing in the choir or teach a Sunday school class or join the discipleship process. In the coming weeks, our staff, as we've been praying through this, are putting together a very simple but detailed list of every possible way, shape, form, fashion that you can serve in this church. And the expectation is that everybody would serve. Why? Because the Apostle Paul said to that church, and I'm saying to this church, you can excel still more. All of us working together to see the kingdom of God built up right here, 1508 Hardy Street and to the nation. Let me go back to one last thing before we sing our hymn of invitation. Paul wrote this to Christians. Maybe today you don't know the Lord. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. We'll have staff members and encouragers that are here that would love to just sit down with you in a relaxed environment. We've got a room set aside right across the way here. And they would take an open Bible and an open heart and share with you what it means to start a relationship with Him that lasts forever. And if that's the need of your heart, you come this morning. If you need to join this church, if you say, I want to be a part of that kind of church, then you come on. We would love to accept you into the membership and welcome you into this family. Let's pray together and let's stand together as we do. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you. I pray that it would be profitable to our, the building up of your kingdom. And God, I pray that our heart's desire would be to excel still more. I pray that you'd have your way during this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.